1. And I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read just a couple of verses here, then we'll get, go into a word of prayer. Oh, I, I know one more thing I need to mention this. Uh, for uh, As you stand, you're okay to stand. Uh, if you look on the bulletin board in the back, uh, we've got uh, these envelopes back there. And what they are is they are opportunities to pledge a certain amount of money to go to summer camp funds in particular. So if you would like to get rid of our teenagers for a week, let me hear a witness and amen. All right. If you want to help fund that, all right, uh, that's what those envelopes are for. Uh, you fill them, throw them in the offering plate on Sunday. 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, and we will start in verse number 7. 1 Peter chapter 1, and I was telling Brother Sean before uh, I got up here tonight, there's some things the Lord uh, uh, showed me as I was digging through this subject that I never really quite noticed before. I'm hopeful it'll be a help to you as we talk about spiritual warfare and where the mind plays a part in all of that. Uh, it is pivotal. If you cannot gain power over the mind, if you don't move it in the right direction and submit it to God, you cannot win the spiritual battles. You just can't do it. First uh, Peter chapter 1, look if you would at verse number 7. that The trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. Whom having not seen, ye love. Isn't that the truth? Never seen him. Can't wait to see him someday face to face, as it says in 1 Corinthians 13. In whom, though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. That's why, look, if you're walking with the Lord, when you come to sing the songs at church, it shouldn't be like, Hallelujah, I have fun. There should be a little bit. Come on, don't look at me like that. I've been around some of you guys when it's a football game or a a boxing match or a basketball game or, you know, I don't know, a Korean drama or. (laughs) Come on, come on. Am I preaching or what now? All right. Uh, Something gets you moving in life, whatever it may be, and you ought to have some emotion when it comes to things of God. That's all I'm saying. Full of glory, receiving the end of your faith. Even the salvation of your souls. If you're not saved tonight, we want you to get saved tonight. Because it's something that you can receive. Of which salvation the prophets have inquired. It means they looked into it. They searched and searched diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come unto you. In other words, they were preaching about something they didn't quite understand in the Old Testament. In reference to the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 11. Searching what? Or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ was in them to signify? When it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. Talking about Jesus Christ's suffering, uh, being buried after his death, and then rising, which is where the glory comes in. Unto whom it was revealed that not unto themselves, but unto us, they did minister the things which are now reported unto you by them that have preached the gospel unto you uh, with the Holy Ghost sent down from heaven, which things the angels desire to look into. Because of all of that, he says this in verse 13. Wherefore, now when you see wherefore, you need to, you know why, you need to know why it's, it's therefore, okay? Uh, j- just, just remember that, wherefore, therefore. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your what? Be sober and hope to the end of the, uh, for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lusts in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. Uh, Brother Tim, if you'd ask the Lord's blessing on the message. Amen. Amen. Be seated if you would. Uh, Let me just point out a couple of things here. Look, if you would, uh, back to uh, verse number uh, 12. Verse number 12. 
And it talks, I'm sorry, not verse 12, verse 9, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. It's very clear uh, that, that Peter is talking to saved people. Can we agree about that? All right, Peter is talking to born-again believers. Are you a born-again child of God? Yeah. All right, so that's you, then this applies to you. All right, if you go back a couple of verses, look if you would at verse number 7. Uh, if you're saved, your faith is going to be tried. Uh, you, and by the way, if you're not saved, you're still going to go through problems in life, but you won't have an actual purpose for that problem. You're just going to be rolling through life. And when you get saved, what God does, He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit so that whenever a problem comes your way, it's not just a meaningless problem. There's a purpose in it. It is the trying of your faith. It's God going, look, you say that you believe this. I want it to come to life in your, uh, to come to life in your heart, in your mind, and in your life. Uh, so you can be a testimony for me. That's what God wants in our lives. That, look at verse 7, that the trial of your faith being much more precious than of gold that perisheth. In other words, uh, he's talking about the judgment seat of Christ. If you're not familiar with that, that is not the great white throne. That's, the great white throne judgment is the final judgment at the end of all time. After the great white throne judgment, time is no more. After the great white throne judgment, all tears are wiped away. After the great white throne judgment, there's a new heaven, a new earth, a new Jerusalem, and it's eternity forever and ever and ever and ever, and no sin and no Satan. Amen? Now, now the judgment seat of Christ is for you as a child of God. Uh, when you get saved, God, God says, okay, I want to look at you and I look at it, uh, take an account of what you've done in your body since you've been saved whether it's good or whether it's bad. But God goes a step further. The Lord goes a step further. He doesn't say, I want to see what you did. I want to see why you did what you did. In other words, if, if, if I, let's say I come to church and, you know, I, I'm going to give. And I'm going to give on Sunday morning. And I, Brother Craig steps up with a plate. And I, I stand up and I say, church, I just want you to know the Lord has blessed me very much. And I'm going to put $10,000 in the plate. And everybody, oh. Guess what? I, I, maybe I got your attention, but God just said, I'm done with that. I get nothing. It's like Willy Wonka. You good day, sir. You get nothing at all, right? You, you don't get a prize. You don't get a prize if you don't play according, listen to me, to the rules. And the rules for getting a reward at the judgment seat of Christ is that you do what they motive to please the Lord, not men. Okay? And, and so when Peter is talking about the trying of your faith and that being more precious than of gold, uh, P, uh, Peter's referencing what Paul writes about when he talks about gold, silver, and precious stones over there in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3. And, and what he talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. The idea is this. The Lord is going to try your faith. And, and, and your faith is something that's going to be tried over and over and over. There in verse number 9, he talks about the, the fact that you have already received the end of your faith. Well, what is that? The salvation of your soul. Uh, John chapter 1 says this, But as many as received him, not a church, not a religion, not a sacrament, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. If you're not saved, you do not get saved by joining a church. You don't get saved by getting baptized. We're going to have folks get baptized on Sunday, but they're not going to get saved by getting in the water. You get saved by becoming a born-again child of God. You place your faith in Jesus Christ, and you receive the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Now, in light of all that, let me ask you this. What effort did it take on your part to get saved? Whose effort was it that got you saved? Jesus, Jesus Christ. You, all you did was you received you get that in verse number nine? Now, in verse number nine, he's reminding you of where you're coming from. So in light of where you're coming, you are a new creature in Christ. Now, I want to say this. So we're going to, get, going to get to it in the study tonight, a little bit later. But I want to point this out. Oftentimes, what people do is they go, I just need to change my actions. And if I change my actions, then everything's going to fall into place. Can I say this? You can't do that if you don't do it in the right order. It will not be. You can say, I'm going to stop doing something. Well, that's wonderful that you said that, and it's wonderful that you tried to stop doing that. But until which time your mind changes on what you're doing and why you're doing it, you've got no shot at changing your action. This has to come first. So what does Peter say? He says, okay, well, in light of the fact that you've already been saved and you've girded up the lo- uh, that you've uh, received the end of your salvation, in light of that, look again at verse 13. Wherefore, in light of all of that, gird up the loins... Of your mind. Now you may go, oh, that sounds, I don't know what that means. What exactly does it mean to gird something? It means to bind by surrounding with any flexible substance, as with a twig, a cord, a bandage, a cloth, a belt, so on and so forth. It means to make fast by binding or by putting something on. 
when you get, to, after, after you're saved, Paul says this uh, to the believers. He says, put off the old man, put on the new man. You, you, in other words, there are things that just because you're saved and you are a new creature in Christ and your soul is saved doesn't mean that your mind is always engaged in the right place. And it doesn't mean that your mind cannot be attacked because it absolutely can. It does not mean that your mind cannot be influenced and infiltrated. And thus, by being infiltrated, your actions will eventually follow. So, so there's a warning here. The idea is this. Put some structure uh, put some girding, if you will. Those in construction would understand uh, putting some girding around something is to put some more structure around something to make sure that it is what? It is safe, that it does not move, that it is secure. You know, we go through great trouble in keeping our kids safe. You ought to anyways. I mean, you know, you put the baby gates all around the house and you got a new little one. You, you know, you, you're child-proof. You put little, little plastic. I don't know about you guys. I was raised in the 80s. There were none of this stuff around. A lot of lacerations, lots of bruises, but we made it. Anybody, anybody raised in the 80s, would you raise your hand so I don't feel so old? Okay, good. Some of you are lying. You didn't raise your hand. That's all. I'll pray for you. That's okay. Uh, to, 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 for you to have a girdle, that's a noun, that's something that you use to gird yourself. You say, what is that? It's a band or a belt. All right, so you know what God says over there to, uh, to Job? Gird up thy loins now like a man. In other words, hey, buddy, get, let, stand up. Pick up your pants and put your big boy pants on. Let's talk. In other words, there's this idea of almost like security, safety, and readiness for something. All right? Now, look, I'm not here to criticize. That's not the point of this. But when, you know, people walk around with their pants around their ankles and they're constantly, you know, do this kind of, you know, it, it, it's, I'll just say this. You're not ready to run a race. I'll tell you that. All right? And, and, and if you've ever had to go after someone in your profession, that's, uh, you're probably going to get them, right? All right? So... <laughs> So, you, so what my point is this, in order to be prepared and have your mind in the right place, there's some things, it's going to take effort on your part. Salvation does not make this automatic. That's my point. And, and you need to understand that this, this thing called the mind is something that the devil wants access to. Why? Because it matters so much. So, uh, let's go through some verses again. Look at Ephesians chapter 6. There's a spiritual battle that's going on. And once you are saved, God enlists you to be a soldier in his army. Uh, and, and so what I want to talk to you about it tonight is this, this, this battlefield of the mind. And it can either be, like I said earlier, the devil's workshop, or it can be the throne of God himself. You are the one that determines which way that goes. And let's be honest about it. There are moments in the, in the single day where for one moment it's God's throne, and the next moment it's going the wrong direction. This is not something that you conquer in one day. Listen, when you get saved, here's what God does. He takes your body and the old nature and he separates it from the new nature and he seals you with the spirit of God so you can never, ever, 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 ever lose your salvation. All right, that's, that's a gift that God gives you. You can't lose that. All right, but as far as your sanity, as far as your mental capacity, as far as your clarity of mind, as far as your sound mind is concerned, that is something that's up for grabs. And you have to do, the Bible talks about filthiness of the flesh and the spirit. So just because you're saved doesn't mean that this is always going to be where it ought to be. Ephesians chapter 6, look at you at verse 12. We're going to go through some verses very, very quickly on spiritual warfare. Uh, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness and where? I play. You ever, ever notice in the Old Testament, God always tells the nation of Israel, don't build altars, don't build groves, don't build places of worship in high places. Why? That's what the heathen did. Uh, if you want to go look at the, uh, if you want to go see this, go to, uh, uh, to Mexico. Uh, what's the, the ruins over there? The, uh, the uh, Aztecs. What's the place I went to? Yeah, 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 that's it. But there's a place. Chichen Itza. Who just said that? All right, there you go. Orale. All right. <laughs> Sitinitsa, that's, that's one of them. There's a bunch of them, though. And what you find out is that they would climb the stairs to, to worship and get to the top, and that's where oftentimes sacrifices and things would take place, human sacrifices often. Why? They're, by doing this, I get closer to God. Hey, guys, that's not new. Genesis chapter 11, Tower of Babel, right? It's man's effort to reach God on his own without God's interference, without God saying, you can't do this on your own. Let me help you. You parents ever try to help a little one that just doesn't want your help? 
That's a lost person without Jesus Christ. I'm going to get there. I'm going to get there. I'm gonna get. And the Lord's like, I, I got this. I've already taken care of this for you. I, I can do it on my own. And you'll never make it. <laughs> and so the heathen worship in the high places. You know why God says don't do that? Because there's something up there. Spiritual wickedness in high I don't mean physical. Like if you climb a ladder, there's a devil up. That don't, don't walk out of here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I don't like heights. I could use that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I, I'm talking about in the spirit realm. All right. Above us, spiritual wickedness in high places. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 6. Now, the question is, how can, they, how can they influence you? I'll tell you, one of the greatest places they do it is in your mind. First Timothy chapter 6, look if you would at verse number 12. First Timothy chapter 6, look if you would at verse number 12. Again, we're in a spiritual battle. We've got to hurry. Uh, First Timothy chapter 6, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on what? So this is a spiritual thing that's going on that has, listen to me, eternal implications. You ever think to yourself when you have resistance on a Wednesday night, like Miss Florence mentioned earlier, that maybe uh, there's someone that's trying to keep you from coming to church? And you have no idea by you not coming what that does to somebody else's life? Now, I don't mean this. I, I mean, this just to be real honest with you guys. I get it. When folks say, Pastor, I'm tired. I worked all day. I'm with you. I'm in the same boat with you guys. I don't sit in an office and just pray all day. I've got a secular job as well. And I'm going to tell you right now, there are some days, especially in the middle of the week, where I go, Sean or Tim can fill in. Now they could, but if God didn't tell me that, and that's just my flesh, I'm getting, I'm, I'm allowing the devil to influence me right up here to get me to miss out on something that God wants me to have. The, The idea is this: is that you are to lay hold on eternal life. In other words, remember that you're saved, and because you have eternal life, remember there are eternal implications to what goes on up here. Uh, First Timothy chapter one. Look, if you would, at verse number eighteen. First Timothy chapter one, verse number eighteen. This is Paul writing to his protege in the faith, Timothy. And I just want to look at the end of this verse. Look at the end of this verse. That thou by them, by the prophecies, by the preaching of the word of God, that thou by them mightest war a good what? Warfare. So this is a spiritual battle. It's not about physical arming of ourselves. It's not about being prepared physically as much as it is mentally and spiritually. Uh, Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Last verse, and we'll jump right into the study. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to paint for you a, the, the, an understanding, if you will, that what we're talking about is something that's spiritual and eternal in nature. Uh, it is spiritual because it's within you, and you're not just uh, a body. That's not what you are. You are a body, a soul, and a spirit. Uh, the, one of the biggest, I think one of the biggest problems in society, society today is this over-worship of the physical to the point where it's just like you're, you are ignoring the fact this is only the shell, this is not the real you. I'm not saying not to take care of yourself. I think you ought to take care of I think you ought to exercise and eat right and all that kind of good stuff. But let me just say this right now. That is not the point of your life. The point of your life is for you to please God, and you cannot do that without a living spirit inside of you. For they that worship God must worship Him in spirit and truth. Why? For God is a spirit, and He made you in His fashion as well, in His image. 1 Corinthians 15, look at you at verse number 32. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 32. Now look at what Paul says here. If after the manner of men, I have fought with what? Now let me just say this right now. You may go, that's just physical animals. I don't think that's what's going on there. Now this is spiritual stuff. You say, how do you know? The entire context of the whole conversation is eternity and the resurrection. And furthermore, if you're familiar with your Bible in Psalms, when it's prophesied about Jesus Christ at the cross, it says this, the bulls, B-U-L-L, like the Chicago Bulls, not the, not the team, but the animal, okay? The, the bulls of Bashan have compassed me. Now, look, at, you can read Matthew and Mark and Luke and John. You know what you're not going to find? You're not going to find a Spanish guy going, Toro, with bulls running around the cross. You know what that is? That's not physical bulls. Those are spiritual entities. So the Bible will sometimes refer to beasts in the spiritual realm, all right? Uh, so my, the whole point is this. You know what Paul's talking about? I'm fighting some spiritual things. I'm fighting things I can't see. There are times when I'm preaching and it's just like something's going on. I'm not trying to be spooky with you or weird, but just like there's a frostiness. It's like cold. Certain subjects you get on, it's just like, mm. And sometimes, boy, it's the opposite. And things are just moving. And you can see people being touched. And you say, what is that? That's spiritual. That's not, that's not a physical thing. Look, guys, I, I know about public speaking. I've been around public speakers in business and these CEO conferences and all that kind of stuff. There's nothing like the preaching of the Word of God. It's totally different, completely different. 
Why? It's a spiritual interaction that takes place. The words that I speak in you, they are spirit and they are life. And they're going out and they're doing something in the hearts of people. People are either accepting them or they're pushing back and they're rejecting them. You say, what is that? It's a spiritual interaction. And it's something that at times can be felt. It's a battle that's going on. I, I want to talk first off about the nature of the battlefield in regards to your mind. Understand this. The Bible doesn't ju- just talk about us as humans having a mind. It talks about the mind of God. Uh, Over in Leviticus, they're trying to figure out a certain situation. And Moses says, uh, let us sit still and hear the mind of the Lord. In other words, the reason you've got a mind is because you're made in the image of God and he has a mind. All right. Uh, Let me say this about your mind as well. It's the seed of your emotions. You go, I thought that was the heart. You're going to find out real quickly here that the heart and the mind are real closely connected in the Bible. I'm not going to tell you they're exactly the same. I'm not going to say I have it all figured out. Uh, but I will say this. There's a definite connection between the two. Uh, over there uh, in 2 Samuel, when David it has fled the kingdom after Absalom took over. You guys remember the story? After Absalom took over, there's this uh, 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 battle that's going on with a council coming from Ahithophel uh, versus uh, is it who, uh, the Archite. Uh, I forget the other guy's name, but it starts with an H. Hushai, thank you. Hushai, and, uh, that's what I thought, and I was like, I don't know if that's right. Hushai and Ahithophel, and they're battling out who's going to give counsel to Absalom about how to go and chase David. And, and in there, it's really interesting because what Hushai says is he says, Thou knowest thy father and his men, that they be mighty men, and they be chafed in their minds. In other words, they are angry. And where, you, where is that anger? Where did it start to formulate? You know where it started? Right here. And it went from here down to here, spiritually speaking. It started with a the thought. There was anger there. And, and now he, he's talking about why they shouldn't chase him. I don't want to get into the weeds on the historical part. But it's simply saying this. He connected emotion and anger with the mind. That's important to take note of. It's the seed of your emotions. Can I say this as well? The mind is not the brain. Your brain can say, I hungry. I have to go potty. Right? But your brain does not say, someday I'm going to meet God. That's your mind. There's a difference. All right? You know what? Your mind, your brain, when you're dead, your brain's dead. Is that fair? I'm going to show you that that's not the case with the mind at all. There's a connection between the heart and the mind. The Bible says, a fool uttereth all his mind. You ever met someone just blah, 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 blah. And just everything that, you know, open mouth, insert foot syndrome, right? Yeah, anybody know someone like that? All right, raise your hand if you know someone like that. Anyone ever been someone like that? Anyone think we have people like that here right now? Don't, don't. all right, all right. That's why raising hands in church is dangerous, I understand. A fool uttereth all his mind. In other words, what's here comes out here in the mouth of a fool. Now, doesn't that sound similar to what Jesus Christ said about the heart? For out of the abundance of the heart, mouth speaketh. So I'm not going to say the mind and the heart are exactly the same, but I'm going to tell you, but they are close. And they are spiritual in nature, and they're not the same. Again, the brain goes, I'm hungry. I I hear this. I see this. I taste this. Uh, But look at Ephesians chapter number four. This is midweek Bible. So we're going to flip through the pages of the word of God. Ephesians chapter four. There's something almost, I would say, spiritual about how the Bible talks about the mind. And guys, I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I would take the Bible as a scientifically credible book over anything that someone says today. They're always changing anyway. Science is constantly changing, and that's the way it is. Uh, But the Bible is absolutely right when it talks about, look what it says in Ephesians 4, verse number 23. It says to be renewed in the spirit of your what? Does that sound like the brain to you? I mean, like, how do I renew the bicep? You can can make it bigger, you can make it smaller, but you don't renew it. Like, like, renewing is something that you do to something that, that is almost like a lot, like, like there's spiritual life in what he's talking about in relation to the mind. And your mind, listen to me, needs to be renewed <laughs> on a daily and, dare I say, moment-by-moment basis. I understand that the brain and the mind are not exactly the same. It's very similar to the heart where the Bible says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Now, go with me, if you would, if, uh, Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16. And uh, let me just say that the mind is alive and well in eternity. I'm going to prove it to you. We're going to Luke 16 to learn about it in regards to a place called hell. And I want to say this right now. I have no pleasure. Like, if you think Pastor Adrian enjoys talking about hell, you don't know me. 
There's no pleasure in talking about. I don't. There's. How do you like? How do you fathom eternal torment? See, see, what the problem is with human nature to go. Well, I can't fathom it, therefore I won't believe it. Well, that's stupid. You can't explain electricity. Yeah, you know the no, no, no. no. You you can. This is what most you can understand. I flipped the switch and the light came on. And you, by faith, flip that switch, believing that the light's going to come on. Am I right about that? And when it doesn't come on, you go, there's something wrong. You do not, listen to me, don't act all pious when it comes to, people are so hypocritical. Well, if it doesn't make sense to me, I won't believe it. There's so many things that don't make sense that happen all the time in this world. And you believe it, and listen, you're going to tell me that you believe the government makes any sense? Do you believe it? But you believe it's there, don't you? All right. Well, look, does the IRS make sense to you or tax season? Okay, but it's there. You understand? So there are things that we may not, may not make sense to us. The idea of hell, eternal torment. Now, here's what's funny. I'll ask people, do you believe about a place that's eternal bliss and joy and peace and love? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I believe that. You know why? Because you're self-imposing your image. And you know what you're saying self-righteously? I deserve that. The reason you have a problem with hell is because you go, I don't deserve that. No one deserves that. Stop for a moment. Let me just say this. People don't go to hell because God wants them to. Well, God could stop it. He did 2,000 years ago and gave you a way out. If you don't take it, that's on you. If, if, if Brother Stephen, I don't think he owes the IRS a million dollars, but, but if he did, something about, I just keep talking about the IRS. I'm sorry, guys. I don't, <laughs> you know, business owners, they don't like it. Anyways, if Brother Stephen owned a million dollars to the IRS, and Brother Craig stepped in and goes, hey, brother, I got a million bucks, which I don't think you have, but let's just go with the illustration, all right? And he steps in and goes, I got a million dollars. I'll take care of the debt. And Stephen goes, no, 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 that's okay. No, 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 that's okay. And, and, and Brother Craig goes, do you have the money? No. Well, you know you're going to jail, right? Yeah, but I can't take your charity. Well, then pay the consequences. But for him to go to jail and go, Craig, like, what's that? All? Craig would be like, dude, I tried to give you the money. You said no. Why does that make sense in the physical? When it comes to God, you're like, I don't get it. When it comes to God, if you reject his righteousness, that's on you. And God gives us a way out. The Bible says the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But hell's a real place, and people go there. Look at Luke chapter number 16. Let me show you this. This is not, by the way, a parable. If your Bible has in the margin of the notes or in the the heading of the page that this is a parable, I assure you that it's not for a number of reasons. Number one, Jesus would have said this is a parable. He does that with other parables. Why would he not do it with this? Uh, he never, in any other parable in the Bible, does he ever give someone's actual proper name? Someone's listed here. His name is Lazarus. All right? Uh, look, if you would, at Luke chapter number 16, and look, if you would, at verse number 1. He said to his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same accused him under the... Well, that's not the right one. That's good, but that ain't it. Uh, look down, if you would, at... Uh, uh, I'm in the wrong... Am I in the right chapter? Yeah, I'm there. Verse number 19. Thank you. There was a certain rich man was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. And there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, which was laid at his gate full of sores and desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. Kind of a gross mind, mental picture, but it's kind of trying to paint for you the, the extreme contrast between these two men's lives. And it came to pass that the beggar died and was carried by the angels in Abraham's bosom. That's his soul. The rich man also died and was buried. His body's buried, but, but look what happens in verse 23. It's clear he's buried in verse 22. Is that fair? Well, how does he have eyes in verse 23? And in hell, he lift up his eyes, being in torments, and seeth Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. And he cried, he could speak, and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me, and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue. I'm just going to have a real party in hell. No, you're not. Weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's what the Bible says. Now, how can someone whose brain is dead and the body's in the grave see, speak, feel, and crave for water? You say, what is this? This is the soul. You know what's alive and well? Not the brain, the mind. Now, now in light of that, look, if you would, at 2 Corinthians chapter number 10. We're going to flip this on the other side, all right, because I believe in balance. And if we're going to talk about hell, let's talk about heaven as well, Amen. And so Paul, uh, very, very cautiously, 
talks about someone, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, excuse me, uh, talks about someone that dies and essentially goes to heaven. They didn't make a movie out of it. It was not a, you know, a featured family film or anything like that, but it still happened. Uh, and, uh, and it was Paul, but he talks about it like in the third person. Look at verse 1. It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ about 14 years ago. Now watch what he's about to say. Whether in the body, I cannot tell. Or whether out of the body, I cannot tell. Kind of sounds like someone's dead and their soul's going somewhere. God knoweth. Such an one caught up to the third heaven. Your body can't go to the third heaven. No man, Scripture, shall see God and live. This is someone's soul. And I, uh, look what it says in verse 4, how he, that he was caught up in a paradise. And what, what is it? He, he what? How do you hear if your brain's dead? There's something that's alive and well past your body expiring and being put in the grave. You know what it is? It's your mind. And I can't explain all that. I just know it's connected with the eternal you. And, and the reason why it matters so much, look at Romans chapter 12. The reason why it matters so much is this. Romans chapter 12, uh, as you turn there, the Bible refers to your body as, as three particular things in the New Testament. If you're a born-again child of God. And whether you're saved or not, it's still true. Uh, you might just be carrying around a dead spirit if you're not saved. Now, I'm not saying that to be mean. I'm saying because it's biblically sound doctrine. The Bible says, and you hath, it's talking about saved people. Paul writes this, and you hath he quickened, who were dead in trespasses and sins. That can't have been your body because you can't talk to it that aren't there. Could have been your soul because if it was their soul, they'd be in the lake of fire. So it's their spirit that was spiritually dead and dry without life from God. And so once you are saved, you have your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Your body is referred to as a tabernacle. You say, well, what would dwell inside of the temple? What would dwell inside the tabernacle? As you go further and further into that, those structures, you would get to the Holy of Holies and find the place where the presence of God himself would come down and manifest himself and reveal himself to his people in the Old Testament. God likens your body to that. In other words, think about it this way. The only Jesus that some people will ever see, Sammy, is you. And the only Jesus some people will ever see in this world, Tim, is you. You know why? Your bodies are temples, are tabernacles, and the, the, the other description is an earthen vessel. Well, what is it? You say, what are those things? Those things are just structures and shells to contain something very precious inside. And so the devil knows he can't get to your soul. The devil knows he can't get to Christ in you, the hope of glory. So what does he do? He tries to attack your mind. Why? Because if he can get this... He's got your body. I, I know your soul can't be touched by him. Mean, you're saved. You're going to heaven when you die. All that's secure. Thank God for that. Man. If God left that in our hands, we would have ruined that too. But thankfully, he did not. But the point is this. If this isn't right, the body does not follow. Let me prove it to you. Look at Romans chapter number 12. Romans 12. Romans chapter 12. Look if you would at verse uh, number 1. I beseech you. You see what it is? I beg you. You know, I said on Sunday, I said, I'm begging you, if you're, if you're lost, don't leave without Jesus Christ. Amen. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your... All right, so he's talking about what has to happen in action. All right, in other words, you are to present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your what kind of service? It's kind of reasonable that if God, the creator of the universe, you know, uh, uh, sends uh, himself down here to mankind, sends his son down to mankind, comes by way of a humble birth, uh, lives with parents as sinners, and yet he is sinless, is tempted in all points like as we are, yet without sin, never thinks a dirty thought, never says a cuss word, never says the wrong thing, never is selfish, never has the wrong motive, always does right, even though he's tempted over and over. And by the way, when we say the, the temptation of Jesus, in Matthew 4, that's not the only one. That's the one that's recorded where the devil himself comes to him. But there's all kinds of temptation, and yet the Bible says he was tempted in all points, like as we are, yet without sin. <laughs> and, and that's something to thank God for. So if he can do all that, it's kind of reasonable that you would go, you know what, God? You can have my body. But let me say this right now God can't, and he won't have your body if he doesn't have your mind. 
And the reason why some of you keep giving it to him and taking it back and giving it to him and taking it back and giving it to him and taking it back and giving it to him and taking it back is because your mind's not right. Uh, look, if you would, at verse number two. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the... See, see he, he mentions that for a reason. In other words, you are either going to be conformed to this world. You as a, even though you're a saved, born again child of God, you are going to be conformed in the image. In other words, you will find your identity. You will try to blend in. You'll try to mix with this world. Why? Not because you're not saved. Not because I just got to stop doing this. I got to stop doing this. I got, no, it's not just about that. It's about changing this and having this renewed. Because until this is renewed, you will continue to identify with this world instead of the world to come, and your actions will continue to follow the same path. You say, why do I keep doing the same thing? Your mind's not right on it. It's not just a matter of just, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit, I'm going to quit. Look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter number 8. When it comes to the subject of giving, Paul spends a few chapters, don't worry, some are getting real nervous, oh, he's going to talk about money. We're not going to go there tonight, so... In the words of the famous poet Nacho Libre, take it easy. Take it easy. Um, but I, I do want you to understand this. As it relates to giving, he says this. For if there be first, you know what that word first points us to? The idea of priority. You get that? For if there be first a willing what? Bingo. Then it's accepted according to that a man hath not, according to that he hath not. In other words, if you're on the subject of giving, and we just, just sidebar for a moment, God's not going to judge you on the same basis as someone that makes 10 times as much as you as a believer. Does this make sense? It's according to what you have, not according to what you don't have. But he says this, it's not about the money, it's about this. Now, 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 let's, let's think about this. Why do you think the devil wants your mind? Because if the mind is the place that affects the will, that moves you in a certain direction, that's why he wants it. Yes, it's spiritual. Yes, it has eternal implications. But in the here and the now, the devil wants your mind. He wants to influence your mind because of this simple reason. Because if he can influence your mind, he can affect your will. And by affecting your will and your desires and the living out of your passions, by doing that, your actions will automatically follow wherever your mind's been. That's why the devil wants it. That's why it matters to him. And I will tell you, there are two things that vastly influence your mind. Two things that vastly influence your mind. All right? One of them is words. So what do you mean? What are you listening to? Over in Acts 14, uh, there's a, uh, there's a, a, a Paul and Barnabas are over there. They're preaching to the people. And the Bible says that the, the Jewish leadership there uh, they were jealous, they were envious of the crowds that Paul and Barnabas had. And so they started speaking to the city, and the Bible says they evil affected their minds. You know how the story ends? The city is divided. One part of the city wants to stone and kill Paul and Barnabas. The other side wants to listen to what they have to say. How did they do that? Through their words. How does Eve get tempted in the garden? How is Adam? Doesn't it not start? Doesn't the whole thing start with words? So what you're listening to and what goes in here will absolutely have an impact. Listen, Paul at the end of the church age, which by the way, a little little quick synopsis for you here. All right, here we are. Right here. There's the cross. All right, that's 2,000 years ago. You are living in the age of the church, the age of grace, if you want to use that term. All right. Uh, And you know what's next? The next major event is not a blood moon or a red heifer or, you know, I don't know, whatever else thing you read on YouTube or whatever. It's it's none of that stuff. You know, you know, I know everyone's going, well, digital currency, you know, AI, you know, Uh, maybe all that. I'm sure all of it's going to be used. And I'm not saying that you can't look at that and go, "We're, we're close to the Lord's coming. But more than anything else, everything that Paul said had to happen for the Lord to come back. Can I just tell you, it's already happened. If you read Paul's writings to the churches, you read 2 Timothy chapter 3, 2 Timothy chapter 4, 1 Timothy chapter 3, you know what you find out? Everything that he talked about that would happen in the end times, it's already happened in the church. Let me ask you this. Why do you suppose that some people will not listen to sound doctrine? You know what the answer is? They're listening to something. 
And they like that more than they like sound doctrine. As a matter of fact, look, the next major event on the calendar is the rapture of the church. Well, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Neither is idiot. (laughs) We still have them. Amen. Uh, I, I mean, neither is paycheck, and you still like it. Neither is, you know, bank, and you know. But the, the point is this: that just because the word's not there doesn't mean the idea is not there. It's absolutely. It's like the word Trinity. The word Trinity's not in your Bible. So there's Jehovah's Witnesses go, "Did you know the word Trinity's not in your Bible, Leonard?" And Leonard will go, "Ay Dios mío." <laughs> no, he won't. He'll know better than that. Uh, but all right. So this is the next major event. Look at Second Timothy chapter four. How do you get crap? Listen to me, guys. Do you know what the original mass entertainment in America was? It wasn't. Wasn't that. And it wasn't some guy dressed as the devil dancing around like a creep on a stage. And it wasn't some half-naked woman at a halftime show for the Super Bowl. Do you know what it was? It was preachers. You know what drew? I'm mean, literally thousands, tens of thousands of people out into the fields of Georgia, George, George Whitfield. You know what got thousands, I mean, scores of thousands of people in, te- in churches in England? Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You know what got thousands of people out there in, in, in the churches in the middle of nowhere in New England back in the day? It was, it was uh, Jonathan Edwards going out and preaching. You say, you say well, how did that happen? How does the people go from that to where we are today, where the only way to get people, I'm not saying at this church, but in the church at large, is to try to entertain them. What happened? Well, they started listening to different things. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heat to themselves, teachers having itching what? The minds have been affected by what they're listening to. And they shall turn away their ears from the, and shall be turned unto, you, you, how does that happen? I'll tell you, listen, nature abhors a vacuum. Your mind needs something to concentrate on. If you are not putting the right thing in and you're allowing the wrong words to come in, it will eventually affect your actions. How about this, guys? There's a guy in the Old Testament named Naboth. And Naboth's got a vineyard. And Ahab is, I'm sorry, I'm going to use the word, he's kind of a punk. Uh, Ahab looks at this guy, Naboth, and he goes, I want your vineyard. And Naboth goes, sorry, man, I can't sell it to you. It's against the Bible. Pretty much, I'm giving you the synopsis, all right? And, and, and Ahab, you know what Ahab does? He goes home. And he whips out his phone, and he writes a passive-aggressive tweet. <laughs> or a passive-aggressive Facebook post. I just wish people were more flexible. You know what he's really, you know, his real problem is he, he's not a man, so he can't hash it out with Naboth, so he's upset about it. And his wife comes by and goes, honey, what's wrong? Well, this guy Naboth, you know, I just really want his field, and he won't give it to me. And she's like, honey, I got this. You know what she does? She sends people to speak evil about Naboth when Naboth is the good guy. The whole city stones Naboth, and he loses his vineyard. Kind of sounds like some of the stuff you see going on today where evil is called good and good is called evil. How does that happen? By words. Do you know what carry words in the Bible? Spirits. You guys know the story of Micaiah? There's a lying spirit that God sends out. Very similar to what you read about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, the strong delusion that's sent on this world after the rapture of the church. What What am I getting at? What I'm getting at is this. You can absolutely, your mind can be turned like that. You listen long enough to the wrong thing, it'll change your mind. You ever hear someone talk bad about someone at first? You kind of reject it and don't listen to it. Then you start giving a little bit of, and you go, you know, maybe. And then like you start, then, then after that, you start calling the person that talked to you about that person in the beginning. You go, you know, like, I was thinking about what you said. Maybe there's something to it. Yeah, there's something to it. And then you see them, whether it's, God forbid it's at church, but whether it's here or somewhere out in the community or at work or something. I watch clicks happen at work as well. And all of a sudden, you got this little thing going. You say, what's going on? They've been talking. And all of a sudden, this person's the enemy. No, they're not the enemy. The, the problem is you've been affected up here. Be careful what you listen to. There's nothing. Images. Look at Job chapter 31. Your mind's like a computer. 
I'm not just talking about the brain and the prefrontal cortex and all that kind of stuff, and I'm not saying all that's bunk or anything like that. I'm just saying we're going beyond the organ because after which time the organ is dead along with the body, the mind is alive and well. I, di- I didn't quote the entire passage in Luke 16, but one of the phenomenal things about what happens in hell with that rich man is that, that Abraham says, Son, remember... Remember that thou in thy lifetime had thy good things and Lazarus evil things, and now it's swapped. In other words, the in other words, when Abraham said that, his mind could bring up a mental picture of the life that he had on this earth. He could remember some things. You say, what is that? That's not the brain. That's the mind. Can I say this? You better be really careful with the images you put in front of your eyes that go into your mind. Look at Job thirty-one. Look at look what he says in verse number one. Job says this. I have made a covenant, I made a covenant with mine eyes. Why then should I, what's the next word? Huh, so you're telling me you think about stuff that you look at? So you ought to be careful with the images you put in your eyes? Uh, yeah. One time David goes walking on the worst walk of his entire life. He goes walking at night. He sees a woman bathing herself. You know the rest of the story. You know how all that starts? He sees something and then what does he do? He thinks on it. And eventually that mind goes into gear and it's engaged and it goes in the wrong direction. And because of what he was looking at, the mind goes in the wrong direction and the actions follow. And several innocent people die. Why? Because where his mind was going, because of what he was looking at. Can I say this? The attack on this battlefield of your mind is constant. It's daily. It's consistent. And if you're honest with yourself, you know what you loan? The devil wants to sow seeds in your life just like the Lord does. You know what the Lord does? He sows the good seed of the word of God. He tries to put it in your mind, in your heart, every Sunday, every Wednesday, hopefully if you're reading it every day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, every day that you're reading it. You know what the Lord's trying to do? Put some of that seed in your mind. And you know what? When you close this book, and I, I want to be as gracious as I possibly can when I say this, I don't think the judgment seat of Christ is going to go well for us Americans with all the technology that we have and Bibles all over the house when we look in the eyes of our Savior knowing that men and women shed their blood to give us this book and we say, I didn't have time. Meanwhile, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Snapchat, Be Real, Get Lost. I don't know. That's probably the next one. And if it, someone names it, I want credit for it. You've heard it first at New Heights Baptist Church. Get lost, the app. The Lord's trying to put the right seed in your life, but he's not the only one trying to put seed in your life. In Matthew 13, you know what the Bible says about a parable of the wicked one that comes and sows the wrong kind of stuff? While men slept. In other words, the mind is just kind of like not engaged. The enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. Can I say this? If you're honest with yourself, when you are ill or tired, isolated or idle, your mind goes the wrong direction. Can I show you something? Look at Ezekiel chapter 16. Ezekiel 16. Probably not, you know, the best verse to read in some people's eyes during Pride Month, but here it is. (laughs) Ezekiel chapter 16. I'm not, look, by the way, I'm not picking on folks. The reality is this, we're all sinners and we're all, we all deserve hell, all of us. But none of us are any better than anybody else. I'm simply saying this, if I walked down the street with the flag that said I slept around on this town and I cheated on my wife, none of you would be like, yay, I'm just so glad you came out. Am I right? And yet someone else does it. Oh! Well, look, I'm not picking on someone. Can I say this? This is a true, honest statement. I believe this. I believe that when you start thinking about certain things, your mind can take you to a certain place, and eventually your body follows, whether it's heterosexual or homosexual. I'm not saying one's better than the other. I'm simply saying this. When a nation celebrates sin, you're in trouble. Whether it's straight or gay doesn't matter. The point is that, you know, I mean, you've got to have uh, just some common sense about what's going on around you, people. Um, but look at Ezekiel chapter 16. Look, if you would, at verse number 49. Behold, this was the iniquity of thy sister Sodom. You ready? Pride. <laughs> First thing in the list. Interesting, isn't it? 
Now, before you start amening me too much, let me just say this. This kind of describes America and where we're at. Pride, what's the next one? I don't need God. I got everything I need. I am God. I'm self-sufficient. Got money in the bank, food on the table. When I don't have food anymore, government's going to give it to me anyways. I'm good. Abundance, what's the next one? You know what happens with your mind when you don't have anything to do? It isn't good. Do you know what the Bible says in Romans 1? It talks about a reprobate mind. You know what the context of the Romans 1 is, don't you? Yes. Well, 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 think about this. Whether you're straight or whatever, it's not, it's not about pitting against one group or another. Some of you, I think most of you here are straight, and I, I know this. If you sit long enough with nothing to do, you're going to get a filthy mind. You know what you need? You need to be busy. And I'm going to tell you right now, and I'm not saying this to, to, to tell you my kids are perfect. God knows they are far from perfect because they're just like their daddy. They're a sinner just like dad. But I want you to understand this much. One thing that will help your kids stay out of trouble is by keeping them busy. We have this rule at our house. Never say I'm bored. <laughs> you say why? You say I'm bored. We're going to give you something to do. You know what? It's, it's not just a problem for kids. It's a problem for adults. So here's what happens. When you're five, I'm bored, right? Yeah, it's funny to me. We buy, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of to baby toys, you know, these hippie, dippy, boho, bamboo <laughs> toys, whatever they are, you know, for the little baby. And what does she want to play with? The, the, the box. <laughs> you know, the box or, or like the wipe bag, you know, she's playing with the wipe bag. I'm like, really? Just, just buy some wipe. And then the kid turns five, I'm bored. And then when you're 15 years old, and it's not like that, I don't know where my phone is, but it's, your mind needs to be engaged with something that's good. Amen. You know, it's not healthy for you to be idle. The devil's going to seize on that. You know, when you're idle, you start thinking about things. You start going, what about them? And you start thinking about other people. And before you know it, you start thinking about other people. What happens eventually is you start talking about other people. Can I get a witness? And, 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 and sometimes whenever you are going through a, listen to me very carefully, someone has hurt you. And you have too much time to sit and think about it. Now, don't, don't get me wrong. There's a time for healing. There's a time to grieve, all that stuff. You need that as a human being. But I've known people 20 years after something happened, and they're just, you know why? Man, you've taken one of the God's greatest gifts, and you threw it away. You let the devil influence you. An idle mind is a devil's workshop. I read this, and I am prone to renting out my mind of the first bidder. You know what that means? Everything catches my attention, so if I don't put it on the right thing, I purposefully don't put it on the right thing, it's going to go in the wrong direction. The question is this, and I go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Can we actually win? Can we actually win? Well, it's kind of like in the NFC Championship game. Can Green Bay beat Dallas? No, but they think they can. And so, you know, whatever. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Second Corinthians chapter 10. Sometimes you feel like, well, I just, I can't do it. I, I've been thinking this way for so long. If you have unforgiveness, if you're bitter, if your mind is constantly filled with lustful thoughts, if you have an addiction, you know, you always think, people just tend to think, well, I just can't change. No, 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 you can. Let me say it again. You can do all things through Christ. Amen. You can do this. You can literally say, Lord, my mind, I want to effectively put it on the right track. I want to get my mind focused on you and focused on things that matter for eternity. And you know what? If I'm constantly thinking about me and how people have hurt me, and my feeling, you know what that is? That's not the spirit of Christ. I need to renew my mind. Amen. If I'm constantly thinking about how someone hurt me instead of all of the things that God forgave me of, Amen. then I've got the wrong mindset. Amen. I need my mind renewed. Does this make sense? If I'm constantly thinking about, look, if you're a married man and you're constantly thinking about another woman that's not your wife, you need your mind renewed. <laughs> If you're a young man thinking about the wrong things, if you're a young woman thinking about the wrong things, if you're, your mind is envious and you're always thinking about what someone else has instead of what God has blessed you with, you need your mind renewed. 
It's not automatic. It's a daily moment-by-moment thing. And it's something you have to guard. Gird up the loins of your mind. Because if you don't do that, the devil's going to come in. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look with me if you would. A couple of verses here, a couple of thoughts. Try to end this tonight. Get you home at a decent hour. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Look if you would at verse number 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. You don't have a, a choice about the fact that you're in a human body right now. That's just where you're at. All right? Uh, but you have a choice in whether or not you engage in the right warfare. For though, he says this, though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, they're not physical, but mighty through God to the pulling down of what? This can be done. He tells you it can be done. All right? But, but it's something that starts in the mind. How do I know this? Look at verse number five. The strongholds that he's talking about, casting down what? And every high thing that exalted itself. In other words, look, when it comes to this word image, do you know what your mind is? Your mind is constantly filled with pictures, mental pictures, and those things are what we get our imagination from. And as you fill your mind with certain things, whether it was something that you visibly saw or something that you've been thinking about on your own, you are putting a mental picture in your mind. You are forming an idol, if you will. And if it doesn't line up with Scripture, you know what eventually happens? It says casting down every imagination and every high thing that exalts. You ever been in a certain place in your life where a, a problem, an addiction, a, a, a sin of the past, a, 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 something that just has a bondage on you in your life? Maybe it's even fear. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe it's lust. Whatever it might be, it seems so strong you can't beat it. You know why? It is magnified in your life. You put something under a magnifying glass, you know what happens? It looks big. It's not bigger than God, but it looks bigger than God because that's what you're staring at. That's what you're looking at. And he says this, you ought to be able to cast down those. You might remember the story of Gideon. Church I grew up in was called Gideon Baptist Church. The story of Gideon was he went in there in that, that grove and knocked Baal, and knocked those idols down and went in there. And there Who's, who did this? Who knocked down our idols? Who's responsible for this? And the answer was, look, if your idol is so weak that it can be knocked down, maybe you're worshiping the wrong God. So in other words, if these things in your mind are things that you're causing him to knock down, you know what that means? They're trying to take the place of God himself. And it's your job as a believer to go, that doesn't belong there. Now watch what it says in verse number five. All right, against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought, every thought, every thought. Every, do you believe the Bible or not? Does every thought mean every thought? That's what it says. Bringing every thought. You know what that means? I have a thought. Right? It doesn't mean it's always evil, but I have a thought. And it goes in there, and then it's a good thought. I'm thinking about my family. I'm thinking about how blessed I am. And before I, 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 I realize it, I think about someone from my extended family. And I realize that they never pay me back for something. And then before I know it, I'm going, you ever, you ever been there? Yeah. It's like you're just like, what? Where? I, was, I was in a good place. Now I'm in a bad place. You know what the problem is? I'm just letting the mind go. You don't do that with your kids. You don't do that with your bank account. You don't do that with your job. But you allow something way more precious to do that in your life, your mind. Let me close with this. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. When you have lustful or foolish or vile or selfish or envious or jealous or self-righteous or hateful or greedy thoughts, they don't just go away. They have to be knocked down. But let me say this as well. God is a God of replacement. And the devil knows this. And the devil knows if you go, oh, bad thought. What happens? <laughs> I was a kid. When I was a kid, I, I don't remember if this is like an 80s thing or whatever. They had these little things you'd inflate and you'd punch them. You know what I'm talking about? And they'd come right back. I had a Superman one when I was a kid. You know, I, God help me. I ran around all the time without any clothes on. Superman underwear is like my favorite thing, you know. And I run through that and it comes right back. You, you know, as a Christian, when you go, I shouldn't think about that. I shouldn't think about that. I shouldn't think about that. I shouldn't think about Okay, well, guess what you're going to keep doing? Look at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. You ever find yourself, maybe even at church, your mind drifts. And you're like, man, what in the world is, where, at 10 minutes go by, you're like, okay, is he done yet? I don't know where he's at. I just know I'm not with him, and my mind's been somewhere for the last 10 minutes. Look at Philippians chapter 4. Look at you at verse number 8. 
Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are, is your thought true? Whatsoever things are, is it honest to think about someone else in a wrong way according to charity, 1 Corinthians 13? Whatsoever things are just, is it right? Whatsoever things are pure? Bob Jones Sr. said, Every tragedy of human character is the, the end result of the process of wicked, a long process of evil thinking. Is it pure? What are you thinking about when you're driving down the road and your mind's just kind of coasting? You've you, you got to go, you, you put it in gear. I'm not saying it's always like I'm constantly praying, constantly... But I mean, you better put the right things up there. Is it pure? What are things are lovely? Is it going to edify you thinking about this? What are things are of good report? You know what? I'm going to be honest with you guys. I don't care if you're, you know, a CNN fan or a Fox News or. One American News or News News or News Knows or Knows News or you're, if you're constantly listening to stuff that's bad news, it's going to affect your mind. Amen. You have to break away from that. If you are connected with people that are constantly posting stuff online that's going to bring your blood pressure up, maybe disconnect from that. Yeah. If there be any virtue... And if there be any praise, watch the last four words. This is an, a command. You, th- you know, if God commands you to do something, that, that means you can do it, right? You ever wake up and you just go, I don't know why I'm in a bad mood? I'm in a bad mood. I, I can tell you right now, right away, you're not grateful. You're not thankful God gave you another day of life. You're not thinking about the blessings of God in your life. You're not thinking about the fact that someone out there is lost without Jesus Christ and needs what you have. You're not thinking about the fact that your face is a testimony for Jesus Christ. You're not thinking about the fact that... Are you hearing what I'm saying? You're not thinking right. Think on these things. You can have the victory, but you need to listen to what God said, and you need to allow your mind to be renewed. Let's all stand. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Father, we come to you tonight and thank you for the word of God. We thank you for the Bible study. And Oh, we don't normally have an invitation for Bible study, but I think it's fitting tonight. Lord, I pray you'd help us, Lord, to make a commitment, Lord, to, Lord, to check our minds. Lord, maybe to ask ourselves, why do I, what do I feel I need this thought in my mind? What do I feel that I need this thought in my life what what is this thought going to do for my walk with god what i i pray that you'd help us just just for a moment longer lord i know it's a long long night but i just pray you'd help us for a moment longer lord to get the right mind about us lord uh, that when someone says something that maybe would normally get us upset we'd stop and go i don't know what their intention was i don't care what their motive was i'm not going to allow that thought in my mind or maybe it's a matter of a relationship between a husband and wife I don't know I know this much but there's all kinds of thoughts thousands of them that go through our mind throughout the day and oftentimes the autopilot does not serve us well Lord I pray there be some commitments Lord maybe just to examine to take inventory to allow you it's amazing, Lord. We're, we're always trying to change your mind. It's so funny. God, why are you doing this? God, why don't we do it this way? Lord, would you help us to kind of face it the other way around and allow you to change the way we think? With every head bowed and very close, just, um, you know, the definition of repentance is a change of mind. And maybe some repentance needs to go on tonight. You can harden your heart you can make yourself a reprobate mind by continually thinking on things that do not align with the spirit of God's leading in your life and you know what that does that opens a door for the enemy to come in 
he is sowing some seed, it is your job to kick him out so that there's room for God to sow his. How do you look at the trial that you're going through? God, you're unfair. God, you're unjust. God, it's not right. Those are normal thoughts. They're human thoughts. But you better check them. That thought will grow and it'll grow so big it'll seem impossible to knock down. It'll consume your mind. There's some thoughts that are forming some habits in your life that need to go away. But the actions, you can't just stop something. It, It needs to be the mind that is submitted to God and His Word. The mind being engaged with the Spirit of God, relinquishing control, surrendering that thought to the obedience of Christ. Gird up the loins of your mind means take the thoughts that don't belong there and quarantine them. Two years ago or so, the world was grappling with this new virus and Everyone said, you got to quarantine, got to quarantine. I'm not here to talk about any of that stuff. The point is just an illustration of the fact that something so much more powerful that can be so much more damaging, the mind. And it can be so much more empowering for the cause of Jesus Christ in your life as well. But your thoughts... You can control with God's help. You can think on these things. Amen. Amen. Hope you got something out of the Bible study tonight. We're going to go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Thank you for coming out. Thank you for being with us. A little bit of a longer service. I questioned before I started this whether I'd do this in two weeks, and the Lord just said, you need to get this done tonight, so I did. Um, let's, uh, let's be dismissed, and if you can come out Friday night, we'd love to have you at 6.30. It'd be a good, good opportunity to sow some good seed, amen, in our community. And if you have questions about logistics, where to go, all that stuff. And let me just say this. Some of you uh, may work jobs that get you there a little bit later. If you go, a preacher, I can get there, but I can't get there until 7. We'll be out there for an hour, and then after that, we'll have fellowship. So come on out anyways. If you can't make it on time, we still love to have you come. Uh, but see Brother Sean Bowie. Brother, if you'd raise your hand, just anyone has questions, you see him, if you have any questions about it. Um, and then, uh, of course, Sunday's going to be a big day. Saturday, basketball, uh, get our tent set up, water's passed out, track's passed out. Sunday's a big day. It's a great weekend to be a part of New Heights Baptist Church. Hope you can be a part of it. Let's close in a word of prayer. Uh, I'm going to ask Brother Tomas Jojola, not to be confused with Thomas Jojola. All right, Brother, if you close this out in a word of prayer.